0: Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Saroy. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for tuning in for over 200 episodes. It's been an amazing run with this show. I've spoken to some really, truly wonderful people. And with the rise of the Once Upon a Podcast Network, I am proud to say that we're just getting started. A great thing about doing this show is that I get to meet people that have their jobs, their livelihoods, but then they have something else that is driving them. And that is something that I have always looked at as a true Excelsior journey. Someone who is not letting their present day responsibilities stop them from pursuing their passions especially their creative passions. And that is definitely the case with our guest this week, science fiction author Gary F. Benger. Gary started out in the tech world. He was actually the first CFO of eBay and stayed there until 2001. But his love for science fiction never wavered. And he was able to take that love as well as a background in not only technology, but also philosophy and philosophy of the mind and turn that into his debut novel, Unfettered Journey. It has already won more than a dozen awards, and the sky's the limit for this story and for Gary in general. It is my pleasure to introduce my guest for this week, Gary Benger. Gary, how are you, sir?
1: I am great, and uh, George, it's a delight to join you and your audience here today.
0: And thank you so much for, for being here as well. So before we dive into what has Kind of steered your love of science fiction. I am really interested in your take on what is going on right now. A big part of why the writers guild of America is striking is because of these opportunities that quite a few opportunists are taking with AI and chat GBT and are basically diluting everything that it means to be a writer, to be a creative by just breaking it down to simple algorithms. It seems very scary. And it also seems very much like almost body snatchers, like how there's, (laughs) there's like another, how there's like another version of you that is getting ready to do this other work, but there's no soul behind their eyes. Okay, I, I, I,
1: I love that last line that there is no soul behind this. So, well, let me see. To back up in terms of how topical this is, my, my particular novel, Unfettered Journey, it came out during the pandemic. And it is about an AI scientist who's trying to decide whether it's possible to create true robot consciousness. Okay. So you
0: did this. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> well, this, this, uh, this, this takes, this takes place. Yes. So this takes place in the near future, which I had defined as about 140 years from now, not, right. not today. 140, uh, uh, not
0: 14. It's all good. Not four. Yes. <laughs> so. Right.
1: Right. So, and uh, yes, so that topic has suddenly come around to being right in front of us. And in fact, just a little bit over a month ago, I, I'm on the board of the Santa Fe Institute, among other things, and I was there for a conference on AI. It was basically on the complexity of knowledge. Okay? Mm. Complexity of knowledge. And so we had a, quite a number of AI researchers there, and the topic was dominated by conversations about Chat tpt 4 and AI. And also at that conference, they were reporting out some of the results from a workshop the week before which was entitled AI and the Barrier to Meaning 2.0. Hmm. I had attended the first 1.0 workshop just a few years before. And so, so I've got a lot of recent information about what's yeah. going on and what some of the leading researchers think about all of this stuff. But it's, but it's great for me because this all follows one of the leading themes in my book, Unfettered Journeys. So,
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
1: So, so maybe we could step back. You know, how did I get to writing a novel about AI and robotics? Yeah. You mentioned. So, yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. So, so I was the chief financial officer at eBay, took them public, and then led the secondary round. We raised 1.4 billion dollars over those two rounds, and I hung around until there were several thousand employees, and we were selling 100 billion dollars worth of stuff. So that that was the that was the sort of capstone on a career that. going on for about 30 years, in which time I had had the great opportunity to be involved with companies in everything from chip design, that's electronic design automation, to Mm -hmm. computer peripherals, to streaming video over the internet, which is the technology that we're using here, you know, with this podcast and and just to, to talk over the internet. And, you know, half a dozen years in bioscience back in the 80s, where we were doing Company I was with was doing electrophoresis and chromatography, separations chemistry that sequence the human genome. So, so I've been doing technology for quite a while, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think that gave me sort of a hard science view of, of how this works, and, and it gave me some ideas about what is likely to happen in the future. And mm-hmm. so that understanding, what I think is highly likely, has sort of led to this book. Sort of a long way around.
0: Nice. Gary, if I can just ask you to take the microphone, just move it a little bit away. I'm I'm getting like, I'm getting a lot of, a lot of breath on there. So
1: great. Okay.
0: There you go. Much better. Okay. All right. Much better. Thanks. Okay. So, so with all that in mind, with everything that you had learned during this, This kind of like kind of leads us over to what I like to call the lightning bolt moment. And that's that moment in time when you experience something or meet someone or read something, hear something, see something. And it just makes you want to say, like, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of passion I want to lead. Now, was science fiction always a, a part of your life?
1: Science fiction was really important. Starting when I was a little kid, I loved the old classics. You know, mm-hmm. I loved Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury. You know, folks like Bradbury predicted the geosynchronous satellites, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then from his books, looking at a hard science view, you know, that's what happened. So, so that was that was behind it. And and so I, I, I pursued a career that quickly led to tech. And as I said, I've gotten involved with a lot of different technologies over the career, so that was that was wonderful. And mm-hmm. then the what I did is after I left tech, you know, had a successful career, got involved with nonprofits, and I went back to school and I backfilled an astrophysics degree. Oh wow. <laughs> and then I and then I backfilled a, a philosophy degree. I got interested in that. And then I finished a master's in philosophy of mind. And Ooh. that's what led to me thinking about what is true consciousness? You know, what what is this I that's at the center mm-hmm. of you and I? You know, what is this thing really? What is that? And so I was deep in the philosophy and realized there are some very interesting ideas at the forefront of philosophy of mind. And I wanted to get some of those ideas out into a more general public. And so that's why I wrote a novel as a, mm-hmm. as a vehicle to talk about some of these ideas. So nice. so so it was science fiction together with philosophy and 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 a deep love of science I think
0: and and also your tech background really played a part in that as well Correct.
1: yeah and 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 part of the tech background and thinking about this again back to science fiction the classic in particular those classics of science fiction were looking to say what will the future really be like and mm-hmm. yeah they got flying cars wrong but <laughs> they, they, <laughs> but but they, they got a lot of other things right and and my sense is is that it gets harder and harder to be a science fiction writer, to be a futurist, because mm-hmm. there's so much that changes. I mean, if you wrote a yeah. book about, say, in 2006 – you probably would have not had thought about the iPhone that came along in 2007 and how that has transformed how we communicate with each other. You know, you, you would have missed texting, you would have missed all that stuff, and your science yeah. fiction would have been wrong.
0: <laughs> so, right? Yeah. So. One, in fact, you know, like one when I was when I was working on the my five part serial, science fiction sports serial, one of my friends actually like wound up really kind of playing a part in that in a similar way when it comes to technology, because he was saying how he's the main thing that he said that really stuck with me is that broadcasting is not going to keep getting bigger. It's going to keep getting smaller. And it's just like, Uh right. It's not one big platform that we're all on. It's millions of tiny little platforms that everyone is on. And yours is one
1: of those in the conversation on an equal
0: footing. Right, exactly. And so now of a sudden, you know, like basically just like you're holding up your phone and you're you're speaking and everything, and that is your platform. Your platform moves as you walk, like that in yes. itself is is pretty is pretty wild. So, yeah, I I definitely wouldn't have wouldn't have you know taken that. So, yeah, was so, that so, so, was that why so. you wanted to do that hard science approach? Really, like with when it comes to like your writing.
1: Yes, because I, because I think that, you know, it's, it's easy to get distracted by things that aren't real problems because there's so much happening. The technology is changing some, our lives so much. And, mm-hmm. and we're trying to keep up and trying to figure out what will happen next. And I think then it is important to focus on what are the real issues facing us. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've taken this hard science view. I think, I think you can cut through it and say uh, I don't think we're necessarily have to worry about the robot apocalypse that we're going to have Skynet in the Terminator series and you know they're all going to kill us.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so
1: I don't think so. And by the way that's informed by you know the philosophy of mind asking the question can they be conscious or sentient etc. Quite honestly I think that the the robots are going to be f- annoying for a really long time because Mm -hmm. they will do really stupid things. It will be the (laughs) unknown unknown. So figuring out, you know, all the things can go wrong. You know, in self-driving cars, we've heard the stories where they were crashing into emergency vehicles with flashing lights, police cars and fire trucks. So why was that? Well, something's, something's wrong in the code, right? Someone didn't anticipate something in the way it would be interpreted by the AI. And uh, you know bad things happen. So yeah, that's going to happen. Well, so if we look ahead to the future just on that score, I think it's highly likely, almost impossible not to imagine not that at some point we'll have self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. And we'll have airplanes that are on complete autopilot with no pilots, right? I mean I mean the reality is that most planes today take off and land themselves. And the pilot is there just watching. The, the pilot does not need to touch the controls for either of those or anything in between. And so at what point will we finally get comfortable enough that there <laughs> is no one up front, right? Right. I think it's highly likely it's going to happen. You know, I rode in a self-driving car several months ago here in San Francisco. I, you know, got in, very very strained. No one's in the front seat and drives you around and it stops and the voice says, get out.
0: <laughs> You've taken a ride. And, <laughs> So, it's, <laughs> no. so, it's, so it's it's almost like Total Recall, just like the Johnny Cabs. <laughs> just, yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. So, so th- that's highly likely. Okay, so, so to then to step back another, what will happen this century in my highly likely hard science view? Mm-hmm. I think that the two most important technologies are bioscience and mm. AI and robotics. Okay, mm. and that with the first bioscience, I think that. We're going to have tremendous advances in in our health, health care. We're going to probably cure cancer in the next century or so. Or, and we're probably going to live longer on average. I, I don't think we're going to live forever. But, uh, you know, CRISPR-Cas9 as a technology has accelerated drug development by at least an order of magnitude. So so this is going to make a huge difference. But question, will we notice it? You know, if, if rather than living to, you know, 80 or 90, you live to 95 or 100 or a little bit longer than that on average. You know, it's, <laughs> yes, it'll make a difference. Yeah. Yes, we'll live healthier lives, but I don't know if we'll notice that as much as the second, the AI and robotic, mm. because How many people have seen the Boston Dynamics robots, right? You've seen the videos where they're, they're, you know, dancing around. The robots are shooting free throws from the center line on a basketball court and making, making swishes, right? And so mm-hmm. the robots are getting really good at their physical movements and the AIs are getting better at you know vision recognition etc. So yeah. and and the military is using robots more and more because they can save soldiers lives. So there's going to be an economic reason why money will be spent on mm-hmm. robots. So so if you take all of that I think it's highly likely that we're going to have robots walking around among us in this century. Okay. Wow.
0: I'm just picturing like T eight hundreds, just like kinda of passing by, just like, hi, how are you? And just yeah. you know, with like the just the endoskeleton, just just you know yes. nice and yes. so, nice and silver okay. and everything, you know, just looking at you yeah. in the with those red eyes and everything. But it's still just you know is able to wave. Maybe give a little smile and then walk yeah. by.
1: Yeah. So you think about, you know, as a, Isaac Asimov, back to the classics, you know, with his three roles of robotics. Oh, iRobot, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And lots of things have progressed in the last 70 years on when since he's written that. And mm-hmm. yeah, we still have some work to do on getting the battery technology lightweight enough. We still have a lot to do to make them, you know, fit into the human space because, mm-hmm we're not going to re dollars of, of infrastructure it's they're going to be our size right they're going to fit <laughs> now yeah. in my book actually i have the, the robots are slightly shorter than us <laughs> well there's two kinds of robots in my book there is the mecha and it's this robot that can stand when it's standing fully up it's you know it's about 3 meters tall it's got four legs that that can either be articulated so that it looks like a spider or the legs are parallel and it just kind of walks around and that one's kind of a dumb quiet never talks because because the engineers realized that this would be really annoying to have all these machines talking to us. Okay. So that's the Mecca. It, it's the heavy late laboring robot. And then you have the, then you have the Pippa bot. And that's one that's got sort of a roundish face cartoon looking features because we want it to look endearing and it's shorter mm-hmm. than the average human. So that it's yeah, not, not intimidating. And, yeah. that, Just- and that one talks to us. Yeah. That one talks to us, you know, and that one is the only one that we have to worry about talking to. And so, so, you know, that's the way it's developed. They have, you know, standard chassis and, and they walk around. And think about that. When that happens, okay, this is, this is why the hard science view is important. So I've said I think it's highly likely that that will happen because the economics will drive it. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, think what happens when robots build robots. Mm-hmm. And robots build the robot factories. Right? Yeah. When that happens, then it's kind of all over. Because yeah. you know, you, George, will have you know twenty robots to do your bidding, right? They'll just mm-hmm. be doing stuff. And so individual human productivity is no longer tied to how many labor hours that you've spent. Mm-hmm. It has to do with something else, the number of robots. Okay. Yeah. And they are and they are without limit in some sense, right? So so suddenly we have lots of robots building robots. Lots of robots to do all kinds of stuff. You know, they can smelt the metals. They can build the factories. They can build the factories that turn out lots of stuff. So we're going to have a lot of stuff per person, Mm -hmm. but we won't have any jobs. Mm -hmm. And so the jobs will go away. And so I think back to, you know, bioscience, AI and robotics, AI and robotics are far and more the most impactful the biggest impact in the century is that the jobs will go away. Mm. And so then what does that society that i say is highly likely what does that mean for all of us you know yeah. how, how are we going to get from here to there in terms of who gets the stuff right <laughs> lots of stuff mm-hmm. and and how do you find meaning in your life if you don't have work
0: mm. and not, so so you've not only raised those questions you know, with with everything that you've been that you've been doing, you know, with your with your writing and everything, but you've also created. And this is one thing that really grabbed my attention when you said the different types of robots that that are that are in that are focused in the book. But you've created a class system. You yeah,
1: right. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, okay. Exactly yeah. right. So 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 exactly right. In fact, that's one of the social justice main themes of my book. Mm -hmm. because and so this is you know for for all of the writers who are listening you know one needs conflict and so Mm -hmm. this I will put an asterisk say it's not a prediction at all it's just it's something to make the book move quickly but so what happens when who owns the robot factories right right (laughs) and so so what happens in this you know futurist world is that Since the U.S. has so much of a focus on property rights, in other Mm -hmm. parts of the world where they have more egalitarian cultures, they figured this out, but in the U.S., for the oligarchs to give up control of the robot factories, there was quid pro quo Mm -hmm. economically, and that led to a series of laws being passed called the Levels Acts. And the Mm -hmm. Levels Acts, what they did is they set up a series of levels from one at the top to 99 at the bottom, and you No, you had your level and you could move up and down in in levels. It's meritocratic, right? So if you did a, did better, then you could move up in your levels. And supposedly Mm -hmm. it was meritocratic. But then there was a suggestion that maybe, you know, there was some legacy in the way the, the, the levels were attained and, and, and it's, and it is a class system, right? Yeah. You know, the, your level determines whether you can get a passport. You know, you can't, you can't marry anyone 20 levels different than yourself. Okay. Mm. So that's this, that's this world of my novel. And so there's a social justice theme that asks the question, you know, what happens if, if this is the way levels are defined?
0: So so, do we have levels yeah. today, George? We definitely. I, you know, believe we definitely do. You know, and and it seems like they're they're you know, lawmakers that are doing their best to make sure that that gets more and more established. And <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah, and and which is which is scary in in and of itself. So you have yeah. you know, there's there's a lot that's going on right now. So like everything here is, you know, it's it's it definitely strikes a chord. For what, for you know, for for this day and age, and so like this, it seems like it's an ideal time for this kind of a story to come out. Uh, Very much, very much in 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 the sense of like, very much like in the sense of of say like Planet of the Apes, you know, coming out (laughs) when it did. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, like a lot of it's that's a great thing about science fiction. It's not just like a look at the future, but it's also a product of the times that we live in when that story came out.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, in the same way that Isaac Asimov's Foundation was likely about World War 2 and the main character the main ego evil, evil character was a Hitler-like character, right? So, yeah, mm-hmm. he was predicting and also talking about his current time. And 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 what's happened with the debate particularly over the last year with ChatGPT 3 and 4 is that mm-hmm. that is front and center now, which is again the way my book starts with with the character Joe talking to his AI right so, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll leave it with that if anyone is interested read the first two pages and I think I will have have hooked you on what happens next.
0: I'm definitely looking forward to it now, and as a writer yourself, there is a journey there. It's not just it's not just coming up with the idea putting it down on paper and then getting it out there. There is so much more to it than that. We all seem to learn the hard way when we all think that when we're <laughs> when we're making that first when we're making that first novel, we think that it's going to be something, and it always winds up being something else. So, as yes. a writer, for you know, like going through that experience yourself, what did you learn about getting this novel done and then getting it out there?
1: Wow! So that is—I have to say that the writer's journey is a long. Arduous marathon. Okay. And oh yeah. So anyone, and you, you George, know this with your multiple books, but I think our writers who are some of them are struggling, they're listening to this, and and others they're part way along the journey. Uh, there's so mm-hmm. much to learn. So yeah. you know, you've got the writing process, the creative part part, part that we focus on, mm-hmm. but there's all the other stuff. There's building an author platform, which whether you get one of the big four or five publishers to publish or you try to do indie or or use the smaller regional presses, whatever you do, you need an author platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then the book market itself is is very difficult. The even the leading publishers have a hard time figuring out what will be successful and what what won't be its my conclusion is most of them you know they find books they decide to pick a book they throw it on the, against the wall and see if it sticks
0: <laughs> and, yep.
1: and uh, you know it's such it's such a darwinian world out there in the book marketing because there are so many books coming out i think there's something on the order of 4000 books being published a day on the platforms Oh yeah, and the major so so well over a million books a year. the 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 major publishers I think they publish something around forty thousand a year. So there's a lot of books out there, a lot of content, mm-hmm. and and so marketing your book, irrespective of how you get it published, is a big deal. So so writing for profit, I I would encourage everyone not to quit their own day job. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But and then I think so. If you get into what is it. What's the real process I think you 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 need to be organized and disciplined. I found, for example, one tip is that I found I really got into writing and was making a lot of progress when I set myself metrics mm. you know i I put together a spreadsheet and I said okay here's here's what the book looks like roughly it's this many words. This is how many chapters it is roughly. And then I'm going to try to, I'm going to set a goal for myself of getting this many words written you know, this month and this many the next month. And then what I did is I tracked that. And I asked myself, did I do that or not? I, I would put on my calendar blocked off days. I'm going to write this day, that day, this day, that day. And that was very helpful. That.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of those things, okay, you delete that from your calendar because you didn't get to it that day. But you're, by But having that mark out there to remind you, oh, I'm supposed to write for four hours today, um, mm-hmm. how, how, make myself find the time to do it, yeah. that discipline was extremely important, so.
0: Excellent. Yeah, and and, and, and then that, other things yeah. I'd
1: recommend. Yeah, yeah, and other things I'd recommend to all writers is you know get go to writers conferences. I found Ooh. some of them are just great. For example, the San Francisco Writers Conference, roughly every year around February, is a great one. There's one called the Muse in the Marketplace in Boston, where the Muse it deals with you know the writerly craft, and the Marketplace it deals with the 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 market itself, the business aspects. So that one. One conference has both elements and and so you meet a lot of interesting people, you learn a l- little bit about the business and you learn about writing craft and detail. So I would I would strongly recommend anyone to to find one of these conferences, and there are a lot of them, find some close to you and go. Get started that way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I as as someone who spent 2017 and 2018 as president of the Missouri Writers Guild, I highly Recommend that as well. You know, be, get it, get into conventions, do as much networking as you can. Be part of the communities that will drive your passion, will inspire you, will motivate you, will get you, will hold you accountable, will push you forward to getting what you need to do. Absolutely. Can't agree with that more. And one of the things, one of the true rewards, because obviously, you know financial rewards are not are kind of a scarcity in this business, but there will always be that one wonderful reward that we all that we all absolutely love that we crave that we hold on to and it is that moment in time when we are holding in our hands a bound published version of. Something that you had written, something you had put in the time for, you had researched, you had written, you had edited, you had rewritten, you had rewritten, you had rewritten <laughs> and 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 proofread and rewritten and then got some beta readers and rewritten you know, all of that. And then finally, it's the journey. That part of the journey is done. Here you are with the book in your hands. What was that moment like for you?
1: oh that was that was great and and I think you emphasized the right thing the rewriting rewriting God knows the number of mm-hmm. of 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 versions that I went through, and again, to your point, before you know I had a dozen beta readers, I sort of begged in folks to read it and give me lots of commentary and then mm-hmm. at that point, uh, this is the part was perhaps surprising to me after I thought, okay, the first draft, this is really pretty good and then the second draft after all the beta readers this is really really great and then i got some other editors and i would recommend this it's absolutely worth it to find some editors there's the as an example here's a here's the secret efa the editorial the free uh, Lancers association mm-hmm. um, this is a good resource to find very very competent editors and uh, you need them and uh, you know do that do that get yourself another editor even if you're looking to go the the you know big 5 publisher route because the cleaner the the version that you hand off the better mm-hmm. and that last part took 10x longer than i thought yep <laughs> and the result kept it kept on getting better and better and better so it's astonishing the amount of time you will spend on editing but it's all worth it
0: and and that moment holding that finished copy in your hands Never gets old. That's 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 one thing I will always I will always say. And every you know, having gone through, having gone through a self publishing run with my first Excelsior book, and then getting picked up by by one publisher, and then when that one closed down, getting picked up by another publisher, and then when that one closed down, getting picked up by the one that it's currently at right now, it's it's (laughs) it's it's an amazing experience. And every single time holding that finished copy makes all the difference in the world it is just a wonderful wonderful experience that makes it all worth it and yes I so agree. so what what tips do you have for someone who is really just like they you know they have their background they have their responsibilities they have their full-time jobs and everything but at the same time there is that nagging not nagging I would say driving force within them to get get their ideas out there, whether it's on canvas, whether it's on paper, whether it's on in on the screen, whatever the case, like they have something in them, they have to get that creative outlet out there. What's the first thing that you would you would recommend to them?
1: Well, I think the first thing is to set an agenda and to decide to actually focus on it, and then set metrics to make sure you're sticky on that path, because it's easy to let six months, a year go by, and then you suddenly realize that you haven't progressed another paragraph, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay? Uh, so you need that discipline because, and it is such a long journey because there's, there's so many things you have to learn along the way that you may not even imagine you have to learn, you mm-hmm. know, on because because the, the reality of the world today and these creative pursuits is that it's quite random about which one does well and which one does not. And the publishers don't know,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and and so you can't tell what will be successful and what 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 won't. You just need to try a lot of things. Absolutely. Uh, so, so I and I, I mean, as an example with Unfettered Journey, I'm very pleased that it's now won 14 book awards. Fabulous. And it's now out in. And it's out in eight languages. So it's available around the world. So it's doing quite well. I'm, I'm very pleased with the book and, and, uh, and I'm very pleased with the reception. It's, you know, it's, as I said, it's won awards in science fiction, in, in spiritual fiction because of the Ooh. questions about, you know, what is, uh, what, how do we find purpose in this highly technological world? Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, so it's one in a bunch of different categories, one for hard science fiction, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So adult fiction. And so it's it's done very well. And I think it does say something about some of the things we should be concerned about for the future. You know, mm-hmm. how do we get past this century, which yeah. is going to be extraordinarily challenging for humankind?
0: Mm-hmm. C- I can can't agree with that more. And where can my listeners find you on social media?
1: You can find me on, well, you can find my author website at garyfbenger.com. That's B-E-N-G-I-E-R, garyfbenger.com. And uh, you can find me on all the, the social media platforms through that. And, uh, and you can find my book around the world and wherever books are sold.
0: Fabulous. Fabulous. Just like what Gary said, the... No one really knows what the future holds. No one really knows what trends are going to catch on, what the, what, what the public is going to be looking for. So the best thing to do is get that story that you have out there. The thing that drives you, that keeps you going, get it out there. And as people would, would say that, that, you know, that these stories have all been told before. No, that's not true because your story has yet to be told. So this is the time more than that, more than ever to go ahead and get that story out there. And they always say like, you know, write what, you know, write what you're passionate about, what it is that really drives you, whatever it is in you, just get it out there, get it on paper, get that passion, that soul out there, get it onto the page because that is yours and no one else can, can mess with that. So By all means, don't let anything stand in your way. Don't let any sort of feeling of doubt regarding the current, the current age, the current technology, the current economic elements that we're, that we're living in today, the current social elements that we're in there. Do not stop, do not let anything out there stop you from telling your story because you never know. Who needs to hear it? And you never know what could wind up coming as a result of you getting that story out there. So for Gary Benger, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com/podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.